We're in a breakout room. <laughs> this is testing the Clean Water Act, Coash and Groundwater. We've got a big crowd in here, um, just a few housekeeping notes so everyone understands what's going on. The document in front of you is a shared document. Uh, there's a lot of people on the call, so a lot of people, everyone has access to this that's in the breakout room. What you can do is type questions that you might have for Lisa into that document, and as we go through this conversation, I'll pull questions from there uh, to work into the conversation. But first, I want to start off again by reestablishing uh, kind of a, a basic knowledge for everyone that's in the, the room and kind of building off what you said in your opening remarks, Lisa. So for coal ash, one, mm -hmm. uh, just briefly, where it comes from and where it's stored. Can you clear up those two things for us? Sure. So coal ash is the byproduct that is formed when coal is burned at coal-fired power plants. Um, and some of it gets reused in various applications, but uh, over the past several decades, uh, much of it gets disposed of uh, in pits, uh, either ponds or landfills. Um, and currently, uh, as of 2015, there is finally a federal rule that uh, governs disposal of coal ash. So it set, um, for the first time ever, a national floor uh, to say how coal ash should be disposed, disposed of. And it, it, it included groundwater monitoring requirements, cleanup requirements, closure requirements, structural integrity requirements, and several other operational and design um, techniques that uh, would apply to certain units. Um, okay. Prior to that, uh, coal ash had been regulated primarily by the states. Some states had no rules at all for how coal ash should be regulated, um, and other states had a variety of different um, uh, techniques. Um, and as I was alluding to earlier, uh, there was a very high number of damage cases established by EPA, meaning that the patchwork of regulations that existed previously for disposal of coal ash um, really wasn't doing a good job of containing the toxic pollutants that are in coal ash. Uh, and keeping it out of the waterways. Um, I want to I want to get to those damage mm -hmm. I want to get to those damage cases in a bit. But one other thing, establishing our, our base knowledge before we move on, uh, we say coal mm -hmm. ash ponds for how coal ash is stored. Uh, the pond mm -hmm. meaning it's excavated next to or near the coal plant. This is not putting it into an an existing water feature. It's a, a constructed. Oh, it uh, could be. It depends how old <laughs> and what rules applied. Um, but yeah, coal ash can either be stored in, in landfills, which means it's a dry site without standing water or without water, um, or uh, coal ash can be stored in a pond, also called a surface impoundment, with water. So some of these have been created through excavation. Um, some, some, in some cases, coal ash was placed directly into an existing pond or uh, an existing stream was buried um, for construction of uh, coal ash ponds. Um, so there's really a variety of ways that the, the ponds were um, created and are still created. Um, some of these ponds uh, place the coal ash directly in contact with groundwater. Um, and of course, when pollutants that are in coal ash, like heavy metals, um, come into contact with groundwater, they can mobilize and get out into drinking water wells 
and flow into surface waters and threaten downstream um, or downgrading users. And with the nature of coal-fired power plants, they need water to cool and operate the, the facility. Yes. So they're often located on or next to rivers or lakes. And so the location of the, the ponds, if they're at the facility, would be also near uh, the rivers or lakes? Yes, in almost every case that's, that's true. So power plants are almost always located next to a river or a lake, and the coal ash disposal units are almost always right on the plant property right next to the combustion operations. Um, and therefore also um, very close or adjacent to waterways. So how can that, the, the location of these facilities, be problematic for both groundwater or rivers? Um, due to um, the, the kind of recent nature of these coal ash disposal regulations, um, a lot of units that were previously placed um, allowed coal ash and continue to allow coal ash and its pollutants to flow right into groundwater. Sometimes these units were built on unstable ground, um, and in a lot of cases, um, the groundwater at these sites flows directly into surface waters, meaning that coal ash, um, once it gets into the groundwater, not only impacts users of groundwater, but can immediately impact users downstream. Um, of the nearby waterway. And it can get into groundwater because most of the, the, the waste sites were not lined, is that right? That's right. Um, yeah, so the current rules uh, have, have more stringent requirements for new units to have uh, what's called a composite light liner, a double layer of geosynthetic material and, and uh, other materials that prevent leakage of coal ash pollutants into groundwater. Um, many sites, however, have no liner at all uh, or use coal ash that's been compacted as a liner <laughs> or simply use clay liners and other type of uh, liners that are maybe not as permeable as having no liner but, but have been proven through testing to still allow the pollutants to move rather quickly into groundwater or move at unsafe levels uh, into groundwater and then therefore uh, hydrologically connected streams as well. That hydrologically connected is a phrase we'll come back to when we look at some of the, yes. the legal questions. But first I want to go to the, the damage cases and can you explain a bit more how these damage cases were calculated and what a damage case means? Sure. So after the breach of the TVA Kingston spill in 2008, EPA undertook uh, really in earnest for the first time, an attempt to regulate coal ash. And as part of that, um, they asked the public to provide information about sites where levels of pollutants from coal ash sites had exceeded safe levels in groundwater or surface water or had resulted in impacts to human health or in uh, impacts to aquatic life uh, or wildlife that were documented through scientific or administrative rulings. So it's important to say that this list that they amassed was not actually the result of them surveying utilities or doing a, an in-depth study on their own. It was really just a request for information. And, and just from that alone, my organization, the Environmental Integrity Project, and several other environmental groups submitted information that we had discovered working, uh, re reviewing state files, um, showing what ended up 
amounting to a, an incredibly vast number of damage cases throughout the country. And what uh, and then you e mentioned the number, right? Yeah, so the EPA was able to confirm 157 of these damage cases uh, throughout the nation. Um, and this was after, meaning, meaning that they had actually gone through the information that was submitted. They did reject some um, sites, uh, most of which were sites where other wastes were commingled with coal ash, so it was maybe difficult to determine which of the impacts were from coal ash or not. Um, but these 157 were all confirmed by EPA as being damaged and that the damage was attributable directly to coal ash disposal. And by damage, we mean uh, effects, documented effects on human health or water quality measurements or fish and wildlife, right? Correct. And then what, what has resulted from this list of damage cases? Has there been any consequence of that? So, I mean, uh, unfortunately, EPA hasn't done a big enforcement push um, to clean up these sites, although a lot of these sites were already in the process of being cleaned up, and that's how we have the information. You know, they were already, some of them, subject to cleanup orders uh, at the state level, which is why we have the information about them. But the big change that happened was that the following year, EPA finalized the first ever disposal rule. And in addition, it also finalized the second rule under the Clean Water Act dealing with discharges of pollutants from coal ash waste streams from power plants. And so these two rules that both came out in 2015 um, really created an opportunity to get, you know, the, the, what the discharges coming out of these sites cleaned up. And, you know, we're still actually challenging. We, the environmental community, um, is still uh, working to strengthen some of, you know, those, both of those 2015 rules. And ironically, in the midst of that, the current EPA is trying to roll back and dismantle these rules at the same time now. So it's an interesting um, year that we live in for coal ash because there's really a lot of moving pieces on the regulatory front and there's also been a lot of uh, court case activity, which I know we wanted to discuss as well. Yeah, I do want to get into some of the legal aspects. Uh, and to do that, there's some acronyms that I think people need to know. Um, one is RICRA, and that stands for Research Resource Conservation and Recovery Act, right? Yes, that's right. And that's really and the EPA, that's the, really the federal solid and hazardous waste disposal rule, which is different than the Clean Water Act, which is, uh, the federal, it's still a federal rule, but that's the, the act that prohibits discharges of pollutants into navigable, navigable waters without a permit. And both of these laws are very important when we're talking about coal ash. The disposal law, RICRA, deals with how do you dispose of coal ash. And then the Clean Water Act deals with what limits do you have to put on a discharge um, from a point source of a pollutant uh, into nav navigable waters. So they each kind of have their separate hemispheres, but they right. both are, are relevant. And then we're talking about RICRA, and I'll pull a question from the, the shared document here. One of the listeners asks, what would be the best way to dispose of coal ash, considering what has been done in the past and what advances we have now? Absolutely. So, you know, we know now um, that there's there are certainly safer ways to dispose of coal ash, and EPA's rule is a, a helpful starting point in that regard. So um, it's been well documented that placing ash in ponds 
is more dangerous because, as I was mentioning earlier, uh, placement in ponds uh, allows for the quicker mobility of pollutants that are in the ash into waterways. If you dispose of coal ash in landfills, that significantly decreases the risk. But that's not enough all by itself. Um, the landfills also need to have what I was talking about earlier, the double liner, a composite liner, to keep pollutants that might still migrate through a landfill into the groundwater out of the groundwater. Um, as well as a leachate collection system so that any pollutants that do migrate to the liner can be extracted and um, dis disposed of or treated um, prior to reaching groundwater. Um, there's a lot of other uh, mechanisms capping the site so that uh, rainwater doesn't infiltrate the site and encourage mobility of the pollutants is also really helpful. And the rule includes a lot of other really important measures, including um, testing for structural stability to prevent breaches, and uh, of course, an extensive groundwater monitoring program so that you can determine for the safety of the local community uh, the extent to which, uh, if pollution is able to get through all of these controls, you know, the extent to which it does so and uh, what the levels are so that you can keep the surrounding community safe. And that's just a few of the examples. But, um, you know, and that's required for new units that are being built. You know, th that's really, you know, that's, those are some of the things that, that are, are required in order to operate. Are, are there, we see coal, or use of coal and electricity generation going down. So are there new coal ash ponds being constructed? Uh, well, so that's an interesting question. <laughs> The rule covers um, certain units and doesn't cover others. And actually, we just had an, a, a very significant victory that speaks to that. So under the rule, coal ash ponds that were unlined were allowed to continue operating until it was clear that they were de degrading groundwater above safe level. Environmentalists had a really hard time with this proposition when the rule was passed because of the very clear dangers that EPA found when it was assessing the risk to groundwater sources from unlined ponds. We recently had a very significant victory in the D.C. Court of Appeals, and one of the things that the court agreed with us on, one of the points on which we won, was that unlined ponds are really too dangerous to operate and that EPA has to actually go back and change their rule to cease allowing unlined ponds to operate. It also agreed with us that lining ponds with compacted soil does not provide the same level of protection as a compi composite liner that has basically a plastic geosynthetic layer. And that's another point that the court um, says EPA has to revise their rule on that point. And another group of ponds um, that the rule we didn't feel adequately had addressed was ponds at inactive power plants. So EPA had said that ponds at inactive power plants, power plants that are no longer producing energy, weren't going to be covered by the rule. And this was another significant point that we won on. And EPA, the court determined that EPA's decision to exempt ponds that, we call them legacy ponds, ponds at, at plants that no longer produce power, they cannot any longer be subject to the rule's requirements. So, so the, while the upshot here... Mm -hmm. Right, is that the EPA passed the coal combustion rule, the coal ash rule in 2015, and the D.C. federal court in, I think, August said that 
the rule was not strong enough in certain areas so that the EPA now has to go back and revise some of those requirements? That's right. That's right. Yeah, and this, this is um, a huge victory. We estimated that this will probably result in the closure cleanup or at least the quicker closure or cleanup of about 90% of the approximately 1,000 coal ash ponds that were impacted and were the subject of this decision. So this is really a uh, monumental decision in terms of getting some of the most dangerous coal ash disposal sites cleaned up. So while it is possible for, I guess to answer your question in a very long way, while it is not prohibited uh, that a new surface impoundment will be built, it's very unlikely. We're not seeing utilities looking to build surface impoundments for coal ash disposal. They're moving toward disposal in landfills, and they're, they're certainly moving toward um, trying to beneficially reuse as much of the waste as possible because not only um, are the regulatory requirements really discouraging of placement in surface impoundments, but they also face uh, increased liability as a result of operating an impoundment due to these catastrophic breaches that we're now seeing, um, you know, and the, you know, the, the overflows that, you know, that we've seen in the wake of Hurricane Florence, although one of those was a landfill. So hopefully... So what they will have to do is look at the landfill or the coal ponds at, at inactive sites and the ones that are closed but still unlined. Right. So those units which previously didn't have to comply with any of the requirements of the rule will now have to undergo closure as prescribed by the rule and monitor the groundwater um, as required by the rule, um, which will really be helpful uh, for communities that live, you know, for folks that live near these sites. Uh, without uh, groundwater monitoring, you don't know if you're, you know, especially a lot of these sites are in rural communities where they're still drinking, you know, off of private wells. Um, and, you know, without that, extensive groundwater monitoring that, that the rule provides, even though it doesn't monitor all of the pollutants that we had hoped that it would, it does require a, a pretty extensive groundwater monitoring system. That will really help local folks be able to determine whether their water is safe, which is, of course, one of the most important the purposes of regulation, of this regulation. You mentioned utilities moving towards reuse, beneficial reuse of coal ash. Yes. Um, there have been some yep. questions here on the shared document about reuse and how it can be used in a, in a positive way. And one example is yes. concrete, but can you get, do you yep. have a bit more about that? Yeah, so that's actually uh, the only, one of the only uses that EPA itself, the, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, has uh, really verified as, as safe with certain, within certain parameters, which is uh, the replacement of Portland cement in concrete with fly ash, which is one type of coal ash. Um, EPA has found that according to industry specifications regarding the percentage of fly ash that's used in concrete as a replacement for Portland cement, you know, as long as those specifications are met, um, EPA deems that a safe use. Another example is the use of FGD, or it's called flue gas desulfurization material. Um, it's also called scrubber sludge. It's basically the sludge that's left over from air pollution cleaning devices. Um, that's a different type of, of coal uh, combustion residual. Um, and the use of that scrubber sludge waste or FGD material in uh, wallboard has been a use that EPA has, has also alluded is pretty safe. But from 
the environmental community standpoint, a lot more research is needed. The way that the disposal rule currently works is if you if you are uh, someone who wants to reuse waste, you have to meet a four-part determination to show that your you know your use is a beneficial use, and in, if you can prove that. Um, or if you can make that demonstration, you completely avoid having to comply with any of the regulations for coal ash disposal that are in this rule. So we think given that huge exemption, um, we would like to see a lot more research done to verify that some of these other uses are safe because there's a lot of ways that coal ash is being so-called reused um, that we would question and there's really not enough data to show whether they're being used. and uh, um, that's certainly something that we're we're concerned about moving forward. All right, well, we've talked about the 2015 rule and the D.C. Circuit Court decision as one kind of branch of legal action around coal ash. The other I want to get to that you mentioned earlier was this idea of hydrologically connected, and that's what brings the coal ash question uh, into uh, into touch with groundwater. And so there have been mm -hmm. quite a few lawsuits recently in federal appeals courts about yes. uh, coal ash ponds and trying to make the case that they should be regulated under the Clean Water Act. Um, so mm -hmm. Can you explain why the, the reasoning why some people think that should be? Sure. Um, so there have been, a, as you said, a couple of recent cases. Citizens are allowed to enforce uh, certain requirements under the Clean Water Act. And the Clean Water Act prohibits the discharge of any pollutant from a point source into navigable waters, and navigable waters are defined as waters of the United States. So, um, and, citizen and one, groups. One mm -hmm. clarification: there, point sources are generally things that have a pipe into a river, right? Well, that is kind of the classic example, but the definition of point source is any defined, discrete, and dis or any discernible, uh, defined, uh, concrete conveyance. And in the definition uh, are the words any vessel, ditch, tunnel. There's a lot of um, examples right in the definition itself of what a point source could include um, that's way beyond a, a, an actual pipe. But that's one of the, the parts of contention that's come up in the court. Um, so, yeah. So environmental groups uh, concerned about pollution from coal ash sites have alleged in a couple of cases, and in, in, in many cases, that... Hello, everyone. Uh, Carl here. A five-minute warning. So start to wrap it up. Right. Five more minutes. So there have been several cases where the leaking of coal ash... I mean, it's pretty straightforward that if you discharge coal ash pollutants from a pipe at, a, at an impoundment or a landfill right into a waterway, it's pretty much undisputed that that's covered by the Clean Water Act. That's you know something that you would need to get a permit for if you want to discharge, and that permit would have to set limits on coal ash pollutants as required by the um, 2015 Clean Water Act rule for power plants. So the, the more nuanced question that has arisen of late is whether the release of pollutants into groundwater that flows directly into surface waters can be similarly covered and would be would would constitute a violation of the Clean Water Act if you don't have a permit for it. So basically the real question I think is if we know that you can dis that you need a permit and that the Clean Water Act prohibits discharge of pollutants right into the river, 
if you can release those pollutants into groundwater that's a few feet away from the river, but we know flows right into the river, um, can you escape that liability if you're a utility? Or, you know, from the other perspective, you know, can you, uh, can you, you know, is that something that um, that citizens can challenge as also a Clean Water Act violation, knowing that the pollutants end up in the same place, uh, albeit through groundwater first? So. Uh, there have been a lot of cases uh, on this, actually, at the federal appellate level this year. Two cases that were not dealing with coal ash specifically, but were dealing with this issue nonetheless with regard to injection wells. Um, one in the Fourth Circuit and one in the Ninth Circuit both had held earlier this year that the Clean Water Act liability does extend to discharges of surface waters through this so-called hydrological connection route. But, however, um, very recently, there were two decisions issued in the, in the Sixth Circuit um, that were just a, a few weeks ago that reached the opposite conclusion, holding that leaks from coal ash disposal ponds to surface waters through groundwater didn't violate the Clean Water Act because the discharge was not direct to surface waters, but had to first pass through groundwater. So the interesting thing is that the word directly or direct is not in the statute. So it, it seems, from my perspective, that that requirement was read in um, in these cases. The other courts in the Fourth and Ninth Circuits had not reached that conclusion and had not read that into, and they argued uh, alternately that it's clear that this was still a discharge from the coal ash disposal unit, and it went into the navigable water, and it didn't really matter that it went through groundwater first because it's clear what the pathway was, so that made it uh, qualify as kind of the conveyance that they were, that, that, rather, that, that made it the type of discharge that was contemplated by the act. Um, and so, so where what, we stand what now is, the, is there's a split. Okay, I'm well, sorry, go ahead with, with the split. So where, where this <laughs> yeah, might go so, legally. Yeah, so what that means is we've got a, what's called a split in the circuit. So there's, and if you live in certain areas of the country, namely the Sixth Circuit, um, that you're kind of bound by this Sixth Circuit decision. And if you live in other parts of the country, um, the opposite is true. So what is uh, going to have to happen eventually is the Supreme Court may have to decide this. And actually both the Fourth and Ninth Circuit opinions, which were the ones that did hold that the Clean Water Act covered hydrological discharge, um, have both, they've both uh, been presented uh, in what's called a writ of certiorari to appeal you know, before the Supreme Court, and uh, it's unclear yet whether the Supreme Court will take on these cases or not. Um, what, what then is at stake if the if there is an agreement in the courts that um, coal ash, ash ponds do have a direct connection and should be regulated? Sure. Okay, one more minute. One more minute. Wrap up your conversations, and we'll all come back to group. One more minute. Sure. Thanks. So if the Supreme if the Supreme Court upholds the decisions in these two cases in the Fourth and Ninth Circuits, that will invalidate these Sixth Circuit cases that just came up. The Supreme Court's decision is binding nationwide. So if the Supreme Court decides that the Clean Water Act does apply, that would mean that coal ash um, ponds and landfills throughout the country could be subject to liability under the Clean Water Act for hydrological discharge. And of course, if they rule the other way, um, the same is true uh, for that other so we really, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see what they say, and we think it's absolutely critical that the court does hold that there is Clean Water Act liability because the, the waste law really does not cover this type of pollution otherwise. 
I think the Sixth Circuit Court seemed to think that because there is a waste disposal law that covers pollution from coal ash ponds, we didn't really need, you know, it was kind of du duplicative to hold this liability, but um, that's really not the case. There's lots of units that aren't covered by the coal ash disposal rule, and it also Carl doesn't require Ganter here. water monitoring. Some great conversations, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, fascinating listening to your comments and the breakout groups. I had a chance actually to surf all the sessions. Um, so we'll take just a few seconds uh, to bring us all back to group, and we'll have report outs from our discussion leaders and we'll have our experts in the room as well. Um, so uh, just hang with us for just a moment or two, and we'll bring you all back to group.